It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. What's up with J.B. Bickerstaff rotations, and is the criticism of Darius Garland fair or foul? What's up, Jason? Kyrie Irving's coming home tonight to Cleveland. Coming home. It's funny how it sounds. My good buddy, my old buddy. I won't be there to see him, but we're going to talk about it. Jason Lloyd, Mikey McNuggets coming at you for the Ultimate Cavaliers show. Jason, for the second week in a row, is on the road. This time, he's in Indianapolis for the NFL Combine, where he heard Andrew Barry speak today. He'll hear Kevin Stefanski speak tomorrow. But, Jason, do you feel like you're going to miss out tonight before we dive into our topics on a special homecoming for one Kyrie Irving? No, I'm going to Harry and Izzy's tonight and eat with I don't care about Kyrie coming back to Cleveland. Are you kidding me? I'm going to be just fine tonight. It is a good, good show. Well, Jason, you were not here today on the Ultimate Cleveland Sports Show, where I know you don't follow the Twitter discourse, especially with him on Cavs Twitter, but there's been some uh, some talk, and Donovan Mitchell kind of sparked this himself when he called out the fans and media for being too critical of Darius Garland since he's come back from injury and how the whole opinion of DG's game has really flipped in a 12, 13, 14-game span when his career body of work stretches over four and a half, close to five seasons now. So I want to ask this question, and you can take it however you want. I'll, I'll, I have some stats to throw at you after you go, but what is fair criticism of Darius Garland? What has been too far, and, and where do you kind of stand on fans and media's ability to criticize players of their favorite teams? I mean, that's what we do is, is criticize when guys aren't playing well. And Darius hasn't played well this year. Like, I'm not going to defend how he's – his season, whether it's the injuries, whatever. Uh, he hasn't shot it well. The turnovers are up a little bit, assists are down. You know, all the metrics you look for in a point guard, he hasn't had a great year. Doesn't mean he's not a great player. Doesn't mean they should get rid of him. Doesn't mean they should trade him. Doesn't mean any of that. It just means you can circle and identify that guy's not having the year that we expect him to have. Uh, he it, it hasn't put up the numbers you expect, the contract, all that stuff. That's perfectly fair and warranted to say. Where I think it gets a little silly is when people start trying to conjure up trade rumors or trade scenarios to get them out because it's just it's just not logical, feasible, or realistic. Like Darius Garland signed an extension, richest in contract history to stay in Cleveland. We talked about it before. That matters to this front office. Kobe Altman wants guys who want to be here. When guys voluntarily sign up for extensions to stay in Cleveland. That carries a lot of weight with this front office. And the whole we've already discussed the whole Donovan thing. We'll continue to discuss the whole Donovan thing. If the time comes where they have to move on from him this summer or even next year, you still want the Darius piece, the Darius, Evan, Jarrett pieces in place. It makes no sense to try and move on from Darius when you might have to turn around and pivot off of Donovan as well. That's where, personally, I think he goes over the line. I'm interested to hear some of your numbers. I just did a real quick, obviously, I was in baseball mode last week. I'm in NFL mode this week. But I was digging around on, on some lineups, two-man, five-man lineup type combinations with Darius. Uh, and, and frankly, the two-man numbers between Donovan and Darius are, are very similar to what they were last year. They're not much different. Uh, the five-man lineups, 
you know, it, it is significant. You know, the best lineup they had last year was Donovan, Darius, Karis, Levert, Mobley, and Allen. And this year, you know, that's just not the case. You know, Max Struess has been a terrific addition, even though he hasn't shot it well. He's been a terrific addition. And he's really sort of replaced the Karis piece in those lineups, in some of the best lineups that they have. And Darius hasn't been part of their best lineups uh, this year. But I'm curious to know the numbers that you dug up. Yeah, so when you look at it from a big picture view, he's averaging about 18 and six and a half, 18 and seven, which is pretty damn good for a point guard. And yeah. most teams would take that from their starting point guard every day of the week. The issue with Darius is we know he can produce more and he can be more efficient. And that's what I think some of these numbers kind of illustrate. Since he got hurt and since Evan Mobley got hurt, the Cavs have become more of a pace and space team, four out, one in, they're shooting more threes. And that's kind of where Darius has struggled most, in my opinion. It's a career low from three for him. He's shooting just below 34%. But what's really kind of staggering are his catch-and-shoot three-point numbers. For him and Mitchell to coexist in the backcourt together, whoever doesn't have the ball, whether it's Darius or Donovan, has to be deadly as a catch-and-shoot threat just because they're both undersized guards are going to give up things defensively. But if they're shooting at a high clip, and they're creating opportunities for others, well, you can live with that. But listen to this trend, Jason, over the last four seasons on Darius Garland's catch-and-shoot numbers from beyond the arc. In the 2020-2021 season, he shot 43.2% on catch-and-shoot threes. 2021-2022, dropped off a little bit down to 35.4. Last season, he was a 44% shooter on catch-and-shoot three-point attempts in his first season with Donovan Mitchell. This season, a career-low 31.9. So down nearly 12 points on catch and shoot yeah. from last season. So that's a big part of his game. That's not that's not an opinion. That's not me speculating. That's just a fact. He is right. not the caliber. He is capable of doing something. And another thing I noticed, and you know, we talk about his aggressiveness and his assertion and willingness to be kind of the focal point of an offense, especially in those two games after the break without Donovan Mitchell. And I mentioned this on UCSS earlier, but Assists sometimes aren't always the greatest number to see how a player is facilitating because it takes two to tango with an assist. Great pass, you got to make the shot. You can make a perfect pass. George Nang in the corner misses. Well, you don't get an assist. There's nothing to stat. So I actually like what NBA.com does, and you can find this on your own, but they sort out potential assists per game. So passes that lead to shots, and you could add that up, and they give you a number. In 2021, so four years ago, it was 11.4 potential assists per game for Darius Garland. In his all-star season in 2022, Jason, that number rose to 15.6. It was one of the highest numbers in the NBA. Last season in his first year with Donovan Mitchell, it was at 12.9, just shy of 13, also in the upper echelon of the NBA. This season, it's down below his 2021, his sophomore season. It's at 11.3. So from his all-star peak to where he is now in potential assists per game, it's down four and change, almost four and a half. And I think that speaks to the lack of, a, not his lack of aggressiveness and assertiveness, but his unwillingness to kind of make stuff happen right now as he continues to work back from injury. I know it's probably part of the equation, Jason. I'm not confident in his body taking the physical toll of being a guy working into the bait, taking the contact, kicking out. But he's not shooting at the level he had and the level the Cavs need him to shoot out to be a legitimate threat in the playoffs. And when he's had his opportunities to be aggressive, whether it's the staggered minutes when Mitchell's not on the court or when Mitchell's out with illness, he hasn't stepped up to be that number one option. And I think that's where any criticism criticism of him in that regard is totally fair and valid. 
Yeah, I, I agree with you. And it's the shooting component you mentioned to me that's more even more than the assist because the all-star you, you referenced, he's playing alongside Colin and he's got the ball in his hands a lot more, whereas he he's deferred quite a bit. Obviously, Donovan has had the ball in his hands quite a bit this year. So I would almost expect those numbers to be down a little bit. But it's the catch-and-shoot number that really sort of my flag went up on that when you said that. I, I have no explanation for you. I, you can't tell me Donovan and Darius don't fit together because they fit together just fine last year. And it worked just fine. And nobody was having this conversation last year. And the Cavs have said for years, going back to the Colin Sexton days, they feel comfortable with Darius in an off-ball role. So you as a former shooter, what what is the explanation for this? Other than, it, like, you know, it happens sometimes and guys just have bad years. Do you think there's anything deeper to it than that? His mechanics still look fine. I think it's partially confidence. And, you know, he made the two threes against Washington on, what was that, Sunday? The the, the first three made it 94-91. The second one tied it up. I'm hoping tonight when they play the Mavs, maybe he has a little more confidence, a little pep in his step. Donovan came to his defense on Sunday night after that game. If that's yeah. not a big enough confidence injection boost to get him back in the right mindset, my fear is – you know, maybe he does hear the outside noise and maybe that is affecting him. And if, if that's the case, then we have a maybe a bigger issue at hand than getting him back on track here. I have absolutely no idea if that is the case or not. I'm, I'm just saying that could be uh, one of the reasons. But the form and the mechanics look fine. He's not, you know, it's not like he's changed his jump shot. He's not fading away now. I think he's actually getting some pretty good looks. But you see what he did to Alex Caruso on the shot that gave the Cavs the lead in their final game before the All-Star break. I mean, the release is perfect. The, mm -hmm. the ball is perfect. The arc's perfect. It's not like Darius Garland has forgotten how to shoot the basketball. He just isn't making shots at the level the Cavs need him to make shots at right now to counteract the, the fact that they're playing with two ball-dominant guards who are undersized and I don't want to call them straight-up defensive liabilities. They are what they are defensively. They're not. They are. They're, they're defensive liabilities. So, you know, if you're going to play that style of basketball, that's fine, and you could you could win with that. But both guys have to be shooting at an extremely high clip and be efficient. And right now, Darius hasn't lived up to his end of the bargain in that regard this season. Doesn't mean he can't get back to it. Doesn't mean we won't see all-star Darius again. It's just... If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. In his 32 games this season, he hasn't been great. And Jason, PER, well, I forgot this number, but PER is not the perfect stat. It's player efficiency rating. It's something John Hollinger created to try and calculate a player's worth. It takes into consideration how much minutes they play, their efficiency, turnovers, all that. Do you know where Darius Garland ranks in the NBA this season in PER? Oh, gosh, probably really, really low. Just take a guess. Give me a number. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. 
If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Out of all the players? Yeah, it, there's on ESPN, it ranks uh, close to 300. So close to 300 players. I would put him probably around 100. He is a tied for 125th with Wendell wow. Carter Jr. Yeah, even though I thought some of the guys yeah, ahead of him. Good. Some of the guys ahead of him, just just and I'll give you some below as well, but some guys ahead of him include Kyle Kuzma, Jeremy Grant, Craig Porter Jr., Emmanuel Quickly, Mo Bamba, Russell Westbrook, Malik Monk, Bobby Portis, Ben Simmons, Amen Thompson of Houston, Duop Wreath of Portland, some players below him. Zach Levine's below him, Brooke Lopez, uh, Michael Porter Jr., Draymond Green, Bradley Beal. So, once again, not throwing the red flag up as, oh, my goodness, he's the lowest really good player. There are some other players. Tyler Hero's below him as well, as is Kobe White. But, once again, you you expect uh, Darius Mitchell, Darius Garland. Wow, excuse me. You expect Darius Garland not to be 125th tied with Wendell Carter Jr. in terms of PER which is a statistic that high assist guys usually grade out very well. And so um, I do think the criticism, at least most of it, is warranted so far. Yeah, it is. But I'm also – like I have no problem with Tom coming out and having his teammates back. He should. I love that. You know, I love yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. Like but two things can be true, right? Like Darius can be not having a great year. You can call him out on it, and Donovan can have his back. And show him like – you know, I got you on this, and don't worry about it because Donovan's playing the long game here. Donovan's not worried about February 27th. Donovan's worried about April 27th and May 27th, and who knows, maybe June 6th. Uh, so he's playing the long game. He's trying to restore some, if there is any confidence lacking in Darius, whatever it is, he's trying to rebuild him for the second half stretch run here coming up and then the playoffs. So I've noticed with what Donovan said. I think the criticisms were more than warranted. He hasn't been great. The only place where I would stop short, like I said earlier, you're not going to trade this guy. I mean, plus, the trade deadline is passed. But even going into the trade deadline, some of the stuff that was out there about Darius, I thought was a little bit silly. But it, it's fair to criticize what he's done this year because he hasn't been great. Yeah, and last thing before we move on, but like anytime criticism crosses the line of what you see on the court and to get in personal, then, and that's where I think it crosses the line. But I don't think anything I had seen online in the Darius Garland discourse had been anything yeah. that reached that kind of level, and it was – I don't even want to say surprising. I said on the show yesterday, Jason, essentially what you just said, Donovan knows he needs Darius at his best to win a playoff series, to win two playoff series, to hopefully yes. win three or four yes. playoff series, and you got to get his confidence back, and if this is going to be a little boost to his confidence, then by all means say it. So I, I love that move from Donovan. It shows real leadership and forward thinking from their best player to kind of come out and say it publicly like he did, but – yeah, it just it, it is what it is, and you know we're in the business of giving opinions and analyzing stuff that we don't have all the information on. Yeah. You do have to criticize guys when they haven't played up to what you'd expect, and you know I, I want to just say this before we move to the next topic, Jason. You criticize guys you expect a lot from, like, yeah. and that's part of the thing with Darius. We know he has all star, all NBA level talent in there, and when he's not producing at that level, you know. It's fair to ask why not. And, guys and not to like, mention, go ahead, go ahead. And, and a guy like Ty Jerome, like we have no expectations for Ty Jerome. It's hard to criticize a guy you have no expectations for when he gives you nothing because guess what? That's what you expect. Darius had played at a level where the expectations for 
his contributions to this team were were risen to a level where outside of Donovan Mitchell, he's probably the guy you relied on most consistently for an offensive punch. And consistency is the one word I don't think you could use to describe Darius this year. So, and I, and I would promise you, whatever we've said about Darius, whatever's been out there, he has said about himself. Like nobody's harder on these guys than they are on themselves. Yeah. He knows it. And and I I just think there's a lot of basketball left to play. He has not been good this year, and maybe this is just one of those years where it's just not his year. Uh, but we'll you know quickly in a couple months to decide. But you know we still have plenty of time for him to turn this around. Plenty of time. Also, plenty of time for you guys to make sure to tune into the Ultimate Cleveland Sports Show on Wednesday, the Ultimate 216 Show on Thursday with Earl the Pearl, and the Ultimate Brown Show on Friday with G. Bush. Jason, as we uh, make our way down the home stretch here of the Cavs season, J.B. Bickerstaff has been tinkering a little bit with his rotations down the stretch. And I'll let you start, but I do have one major qualm with J.B. right now in a particular lineup. He's not playing more than it should. Well, go ahead. I want to hear it. Go ahead. So when Evan and Darius got hurt, yeah, the five-man lineup of Donovan Mitchell, Isaac Okoro, Max Struess, Dean Wade, and Jared Allen had a net rating of that stretch of 19.6. Wow. That was the single best net rating of any five-man rotation or five-man lineup in the NBA during that stretch. The second best was Denver starting five at plus 13.2. The Bucks at 15.3. The Celtics 11.7. The Clippers 12.6. That was not in order. The Bucks was technically the second best. But they were four and a half points or a little more than four points better than the second best five-man lineup in basketball prior to their return. Since Garland and Mobley have come back into the rotation, Jason, that five-man lineup has played 17 total minutes in 11 games. And I want to give a shout-out to, uh, to realcavsfans.com on Twitter for pointing that out. That lineup has played 17 minutes in 11 games. Now, I understand he's tinkering. I understand you're bringing guys in and, and Mobley and Garden that are going to have to play. But I have a hard time believing with the success that five-man group had in that 20-game stretcher. It wasn't fully 20 games. It was, what, 14, 13, 14 games, whatever it was. That you can't find a way to make sure that lineup gets at least a little bit of run each game to see if it's going to click in the same magnitude it had as the starting five back when they didn't have Darius and Evans. So I, I got a little bit of an issue with JB not utilizing that lineup more unless he's planning on saving it for the postseason, which may be the case. But I want to see that five-man group on the court more often than, what, is that 30 seconds a game over the last yeah. seven the last eleven, it was it was it's Donovan, it's Isaac, it's who? Struess, Wade, Struce. and Allen. Okay, yeah, because that's you still have some lineups. There's some lineups that don't fit well in a playoff game, you know. But that I think, I think you could. I think you could use that in a playoff game. I do too. Uh, I don't. I don't know. I don't know. What you're going to use it for long stretches, and I would. Cautious of taking regular season success and translating to postseason success, but certainly it's worth taking another look at that lineup uh, when guys are resting, when when Mobley's out or when Garland's out. You could probably find pockets to use that in a playoff game. I wouldn't want to go three and a half minutes with that lineup on the floor together, uh, but it, it does have the size. JB loves size, and that that does give him a little bit of size still. Some defense, obviously, with Okoro, and, and I think Wade's better defensively than he gets credit for. I don't Way better. Way better. Yeah, I think I think it's pretty decent. And you got so, shooting too. I mean, you got three guys yeah, in Mitchell, yeah. Strooks, and Wade who are, you know, shooters. Okoro has proven he can knock down shots as well. And 
you get the four out one in kind of situation offensively. Yeah. I think they like to work with. Yeah, I'm, I'm not opposed to seeing more of that grouping together. I would like to see him just tinker with, uh, like it, it, it. From now on, it should be setting up for postseason success. Yeah. And what rotations could we need to use? For a two and a half minute stretch, if somebody falls into foul trouble, and that may be—I mean, that might be the perfect example. That might be the lineup for it. Yeah. Yeah. If Evan falls into foul trouble, if Evan picks up his third foul, you know, Darius is resting. That might be the lineup to go to. Um, and I don't know that necessarily. I mean, the film's already out there on that. The teams already know it. So I don't know if you're necessarily trying to hide that for the playoffs because they've had plenty of looks at it already. Unless you're just counting on them not going that far back in the film bank of, of early on in the year, uh, but. I guess in the, to, to the larger question of what do you want to see out of his rotations, kind of what you're talking about. I want to see him tinker with different sets, different looks, even if it's, it may look wonky and like, why are you doing that? But like, you know, go with an all shooting lineup and Try run an AT. Yeah. Run an ATO play with all shooters out there. And just to see what the look is like, just to see, you know, we talked about before the importance of the trigger, man, who are you going to put on the trigger? And what are you going to run with Sam out there, with Dean Wade out there, with Donovan out there? Um, and can you get a good, clean look at a, at a three coming off an ATO? And it may be something that we don't even notice in the moment, or it may even look awkward, like, why, why would you do that? Well, it's because you're setting it up to see how it would look in a postseason series. Could you run that same type of action? So I don't. I, I guess I'm more curious to see the little nuances like that than necessarily who's subbing in for whom at what point. I don't know if that makes sense. I hope that makes sense. But but with your but with your lineup, I'd love to see a, a, a little bit more run on that and see if they can have the success with it now that they did earlier on in the year. I've also changed my tune in the last maybe week and a half, Jason. Of I think Sam Merrill needs to play, and I think he needs to be a legitimate. Uh, maybe not a 20-minute-a-guy game, but I, I think playing Yo-Yo with his minutes as a shooter and him needing the rhythm to kind of yeah. fully get the most out of him, I I was all in the – I don't think he can necessarily play in the postseason. I'm not sure. I think he's kind of the odd man out in the rotation. But if Niang's not making shots at the clip that I think you need him to to be a, a penciled-in part of the rotation, if Garland struggles to continue – uh, 31.9% on catch-and-shoot threes. I think they have to force-feed minutes to Sam Merrill just to create that gravitational pull outside to open things up for Evan Mobley and Jared Allen on the inside. And I can't believe I'm saying that after two weeks ago coming on here and being like, I love Sam Merrill. He's you know, my Cavs crush, but I don't think he fits. Now I actually think they have to make a conscious effort to make sure he is in the rotation and figure out if he can play in a playoff series. And I know well, it's- you won't fully know till the playoffs roll around. Yeah. But what he brings to the court, Jason, if Niang's not making shots and Levert's playing this up and down roller coaster style of basketball, I, I kind of want him to force feed a few more minutes to Sam Merrill just to see what he can do in an extended role. Well, playoffs are very much matchup based. Yeah. You know, we've seen, I go back and, you know, Channing Fry absolutely cooked Toronto in a playoff series and then couldn't even get on the floor against the Warriors. Yeah. So it's very much who are you playing and how do they fit. So I could see moments, and, and really, you're going to defer to the veteran probably. You're going to defer to Yang. But if Yang's not shooting it well, if we get some playoffs and he's not shooting well or we get into a series and he's not shooting it well, then, yeah, I could see him falling out of the rotation. 
you know, I think Dean Wade's spot is pretty secure in that in that rotation. I think I know Levert is incredibly streaky, but I think he's secure. So right there, seven. Uh, who am I missing? Okoro. If Okoro again, Okoro's got to make shots. If he can make shots anywhere near the clip that he's making them right now in the playoffs, I tell you, man, that first corner three is going to be big in that first playoff series. If he can knock down that first one. You know, it could be a real game changer for him with his confidence and everything else. But if, if he's making shots, he's absolutely in the rotation. So there's eight. It's going to be hard. I know. I, it's tough. It, these yeah. are tough calls. I just think what he brings is irreplaceable, and he, he adds just a little wrinkle to the offense of something you have to yeah. move with. And, and like, if Struess, you know, if Struess starts making shots at a higher clip, I don't think he's necessarily as needed on the court as – he is when Struess is shooting 34% from three. Yeah. But Merrill's a weapon. And it just – I agree. I have a hard time sitting with the weapon on my bench. Yeah. Knowing from playoff time, guys may not shoot the same clip they are. And I, I'm just – I'm more and more getting towards the point where I'm like, Sam Merrill has to play. I think he could play – I think I think he'll play a role in the playoffs. I don't know that it's going to be 18 minutes every night. You know, I think it'll be very much matchup based. It'll be it'll be dependent on riding hot hand, and maybe they need a bucket, and they go to him, and he hits the first one, and he sticks with it. And and he's, I think there's going to be pockets and opportunities for him to help them in the playoffs. I don't know yet that I'm ready to declare he's one of their top eight in the rotation. You know, I, I just I just think I think JB's going to defer to uh, Levert and Okoro first. Now, listen, if Okoro comes out and he misses three or four straight corner threes and teams aren't guarding them, I don't care how good he is defensively. You can't play him. They're going to have to pull him off the floor, and they're, they're right there as your opening for Sam. Whereas last year, you pulled a Coro, and you had nobody you could go to. So at least now they've got some options. There's some depth there. And if the top couple guys aren't working, if it is one of those nights where Levert is one for seven, one for eight, you know, maybe you go to Sam uh, and give him a look. But again, you don't want to wait too late in the game. If a guy doesn't play in the first half, are you really going to play him in the second half? You can, but it's not totally common. So these are these are the hard decisions that coaches have to make in the playoff series. And he's going to make them coming up here in a couple of weeks. Tomorrow on the Ultimate Cleveland Sports Show, DeAnthony Bell will join us in studio. Make sure you guys tune in for that. You can catch Earl on the 216 show on Thursday and then G. Bush on the Ultimate Brown show on Friday. You can also Make sure you check us out via podcast form as well, wherever you get your podcasts. Jason Kyrie Irving comes home tonight in Cleveland. He is a 500 player as a visitor. I believe it's six and six, either five and five or six and six in his tenure against the Cavs since leaving Cleveland. You were in the locker room with him on a day-to-day basis when you were covering the Cavs. Uh, Fond memories, salty memories. How would you describe your tenure covering one Kyrie Irving? Turbulent. That's the best way to put it. There would be months where we didn't speak to each other. Months, plural, S. And there would be other times where we'd get along fine. And that's just, that was life with Kyrie. And, you know, I was probably with him longer as a beat writer. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. 
If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Anyone has been, and I don't know him any better than anyone. And that's, I mean, that's how he wants it. That's fine. Like, some guys let you in and want to have some sort of rapport. And other guys want to keep you at arm's length. And I kind of go with how I let them set the tone on that. If they want to build some sort of relationship, I'm happy to do that. If they want to make, keep it very professional and very you ask the question and I'll answer it, then we'll go that route. And Kyrie, for the most part, was very much in that second group. Uh, he does things his way. He's a different cat. There's no question about it. Uh, I do think that sometimes he doesn't get the respect that he should from Cavs fans because of the way he asked out and the way he wanted out and everything. And I think – you know, it soils some people's memory or reputation of what he was. But, I mean, he was a phenomenal second fiddle to LeBron. He's the best point guard LeBron's ever played with, and it's not even close. I'm not going to say he's the best compliment to LeBron because, obviously, he had Dwayne in Miami. And I was going to ask the best that, so. Yeah, no, the best one-two punch was LeBron and Dwayne, I think. I think it's better than LeBron and AD. I think LeBron and Dwayne so – Would you put LeBron Kyrie the third then? Yeah, yeah, I think, I think LeBron and AD – it's probably two, probably, although you can make a case for LeBron and Kyrie being two. But to me, LeBron and Dwayne was, Dwayne was the most lethal combination of any two men that he's played with in his career. Uh, but, but Kyrie's a hell of a player, made the biggest shot in team history, and he has not won at a high level without LeBron on this team. That is true. Uh, but some guys are better off as a two than they are as a one. And I think absolutely that fits Kyrie because, again, we've talked about it before, it's really hard as a point guard to be the number one option on a team because you have so many other things that you're responsible for. Most teams, most, not all, but most teams, if your point guard is your best player, you're probably not going to win a championship. So you don't want that to be the case. Uh, but I, I have, I have a lot of respect for Kyrie. We didn't always see eye to eye. We certainly clashed multiple times over the years. He didn't like things that I wrote. Um, and, and that's common. It's not nothing surprising about that. But as a player on the court, I have the utmost respect for what he can do in this game, even if we didn't always see eye-to-eye personally. I'm not sure anyone ever sees eye-to-eye with Kyrie. I mean that in like the most <laughs> respectful way possible everywhere he's yeah. gone. I mean, I played against Kyrie in high school. I don't know if I ever said this, Jay. We lost. Kyrie was on the same high school team with Michael Kidd, Gilchrist, and Dakari Johnson, three former NBA wow. players. I was the best player on wow. my high school team. We barely got the ball over half court in a Christmas tournament. <laughs> we beat up like 98 to like 14. It was an absolute oh – an absolute oh. – I mean, it was as bad as it, bad as it could have possibly got. It was, it was horrendous. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, it, Kyrie as a basketball player is incredible. There, there are things he oh, does. Man, we're play protector. Even now, where you like stop and and how did he do that? And tonight, when he goes up against Darius Garland, who, like I mentioned before, I think he's going to have his a little bit of his swag back after his game versus Washington. The comment from Donovan. And, you know, I know Luka Doncic is the, the premier player in this matchup, but I'm more focused on how Darius and Kyrie kind of duel back and forth because they're both masters with the ball in their hands. They're both as crafty as it gets. Kyrie's on a different level, but Darius is certainly no slouch there in his own regard. And I, I'm curious to see the reaction Cleveland fans have for Kyrie, even after all these years. It's not his first homecoming. It's the first time he's been back at Rock Mortgage since 2022, but that's the second time I did that today. I didn't say 2022. I said 2022 because I'm an idiot. Uh, so I apologize for that. It's the second time I did it. But I am, I, 
you know, I haven't been there for a Kyrie homecoming yet, Jason. Is he still – is he cheered? Is he booed? What's the reaction? You know, I Kyrie. can't remember the last time that I was there in a game. He doesn't play in Cleveland very often. He misses this game. It's, it's, it's convenient how often he has missed this game uh, on the schedule on the way back. So, I don't know that – I'll be curious to see the reception he gets tonight. I would imagine it will be more cheers than boos. I hope enough time has passed that he would be cheered. Uh, you know, I always joke when his when his jersey goes in the rafters, and it should. I believe it should. I believe his number should be retired by Cleveland. I don't know if he'll show up for the ceremony or not. That's just the way that he is. But you know, I think I think LeBron and Kyrie should both have their numbers, and Kevin Love. All three of them should have their jerseys hanging in the rafters. And some of the jokes of the numbers that they have retired, those three absolutely yeah. deserve it. Uh, Chris Fido wrote an article today on who's the second best Cav of all time, and. We've had the discussion on the show, and I, I I think I wanted to make the case for Donovan, but the longevity factor, the shot, the playoff success, you know, I, internally I wanted to make the case for Donovan, but it's Kyrie. And I don't, I don't, I don't think it, right, at this moment right now, you could use regular season numbers, but all regular season numbers are inflated. And I, I think the answer is Kyrie Irving. And if his number's not up in the rafters when it's all said and done, I think that's a miss by the Cleveland organization. Yeah, I think it'll be up there. In, in terms of the second best, I just feel like we're dismissing the first 50 years of Cavs basketball. And and granted, there were not a lot of great years in there, but there were some great players that came up in the 70s. Peter mentioned Mark Price. He, he did he did give a, he did mention Mark I mean, Price. Price, Doherty, Austin Carr was a great player in his day. It was a totally different game back then, so it's really hard to compare eras. And Kyrie's in that conversation. You know, I don't, I don't know who necessarily I would anoint as the second best. I just don't think Donovan's been here long enough to earn that title. Awesome. That's going to wrap for the Ultimate Cavs show. I think this is episode five, if my math is correct. It's hard to count if it's not by threes in my book. But, Jason, I appreciate you joining us as always. You can catch us tomorrow on the Ultimate Cleveland Sports Show. Jason, you're back in studio Thursday, correct? Thursday, yep. I come home late Wednesday night. I'll be on the show Thursday. It'll also be the second of a back-to-back because the Cavs play the Mavs tonight. And then I believe the Bulls on the road tomorrow night as part of a back-to-back. So we'll have plenty to discuss. Make sure you hit the like button. Subscribe if you haven't subscribed already. You can catch us in podcast form. But for Jason Lloyd, I'm Mikey McNuggets. Appreciate you all watching the Ultimate Cavalier Show. And we will see you guys next week. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.